I'd like to begin a little series. I don't know how long it's going to go. It's entitled Faith on Earth. And it's taken out of Luke chapter 18, verse 8. And Mark, are we ready? Great. All right. Luke 18 and verse 8. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? That was Jesus' question. Because Jesus will not be coming back looking for a great society. He's not going to be coming back looking for world peace. He never expected us to build a social structure that, that honored him or would transform the world. Every new generation leaves high school, leaves college, goes charging out in the world saying, we're going to change the world. And for 6,000 years and many generations, nobody has succeeded at changing the world. And until Jesus comes back, nobody is going to change the world. We can rearrange things so that maybe they're a little smoother, a little better. I've been in nations and in communities where it's horrible. And I've been in communities where it's wonderful. And you don't find wonderful always where you think you would find it. You don't find horrible where you always think you would find it. But it's the world. It's the way the world is. And so don't be fooled by a lot of church rhetoric that leaves us thinking that the Lord left us here to change the world. The world is what it is. And when Jesus came, they expected him to change the world. But what Jesus did was he began to change the world within. And that's what he's still doing today. So he asks, when I come back, he didn't say, will I find a better world? He said, will I find faith on earth? Are you listening to me? He's coming back to find faith on earth. In other words, Jesus, if he were speaking to us today, might say it like this. He might say, um, upon my return, will I merely find Christian beliefs and church culture? Or will I find transformed people? People who walk with the Father like I walk with the Father. Declaring the gospel with the miracles of God following. Are you trying to win the world with Christianity or are you trying to world the, win the world with me? After all, this is still quoting Jesus, I'm putting words in his mouth, may the Lord forgive me, but I think this is what he's asking. Are you trying to change the world with Christianity or are you trying to change people with Jesus, with me? After all, this is what I came to give you. Jesus did not come to bring world peace. In fact, he said, I've come to bring a sword. In the process of bringing salvation to individuals, individuals are going to remain in conflict and strife with one another. The opinions of men are not going to go away just because some people in town got saved. In fact, when people get saved and give their lives to Jesus, the opinions of men tend to become more acute. You know, we didn't know how bad the Pharisees were until Jesus showed up. We didn't know how vicious people could be until Jesus walked into town and began to share the word. And there the division took place. People came and fell at his feet and said, help me. And others took another position. Here's how Paul said it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. This, this verse is kind of key to the, the, the uh, part of this message I want to bring this morning about when the Lord returns will he find faith on earth. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, do not be conformed. Everyone say conformed. We're going to break that word down in a few minutes, but Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed. By the renewal of your mind, so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you realize in that verse, the first thing that I'd like to bring out is kind of the last thing that he said, that God wants to send proofs of his will. Let me say that again because I, I, I kind of paused because I thought there was going to be some shouting going on. <laughs> Apparently I miscalculated the emphasis. I'm going to try English this time. I need to bring the drummer back. God wants to send proofs of His will. Look at that verse. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. Everyone say prove. Prove what the will of God is. Not debate, not talk about, not suggest, but God wants to send proofs of His will. What is the will of God? Salvation, deliverance, healing, victory over demonic oppression, the eyes of the blind being opened, the dead being raised. How many people are walking around today because they haven't seen that or haven't heard about it or seen a bona fide miracle in so many years? They have taken upon themselves to declare God doesn't do those things anymore because we're not doing them. God doesn't do them anymore. But that's not what the Bible says. He says, if you would be transformed, Instead of being a Christian that's conformed to this world, if you'd be a Christian who's transformed by the renewing of your mind, God would prove His will through you, meaning you wouldn't have to run around and teach about healing. You could say, rise up and walk. Amen. By the way, let me share you a quick little testimony. Many of us have been praying for a friend of ours in Connecticut for, I think, about a, almost a year or two, our good friend, uh, Deborah Dunn. Um, some of you that... that uh, came from our church in Connecticut, know her and have known her for many years. She almost died probably a handful of times, and the worst of it was this past winter with squeam cell carcinoma, a very severe case of cancer in her throat, and was just literally floundering at death's door. I visited her a couple times this past winter. I didn't think she was going to, uh, I'm speaking rhetorically, but it, it seemed as like she wasn't even going to make it through the meeting sitting at, at uh, the table talking. She was in such bad shape, it was heartbreaking to see her like that. But our church has prayed, and many believers up there have stood with her and prayed. Hers was not an, uh, a spectacular kind of miracle, uh, but I, I thought about it, uh, and I thought really the miracle was the fact that she didn't die, that she survived that. Uh, at any rate, she called Kathy this week, and she said, you're the first person that I'm calling, and I want you to know I just came back from the scanning from my oncologist, and he said they can't find a trace of anything. And she is completely free of that cancer. They pulled out the trach. They're taking the tube out. She's eating on her own. She wasn't talking. She wasn't able to eat. I could go, and it, the whole thing was a mess. But we praise God. The Lord gave us a word from God gave me a word from God uh, about a year and a half ago in praying for R&R, &R, restoration and return. God said she is to be fully restored to health and to return to her life, work, do whatever she wants to do. 
And uh, we have stood on that and prayed many a Wednesday night around the prayer plate here and, and at, at uh, Wednesday evening prayed. You see, God wants to send proofs of His will. You know why there's so much debate about what the will of God is? Because there's so little proof of it. Let me say it again, and, and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes this morning, but I hope to convict a few of us into action. The reason why there's such debate, why there's so much room for the devil to bring doubt and, 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 uh, uh, and confusion about God's will is because there's so little tr uh, proof of it. God said, my will is to prove my will, not just to produce a theology that talks about my will, but God wants to prove what is good. He wants you to be able to experience what is good, what is acceptable, hallelujah, what is perfect, glory to God. He wants you to experience it, not just believe in it, constantly kicking that can down the road forever and ever, never seeing that answer to prayer. God wants to send proofs, answers to prayer, healings, miracles, deliverance. Jesus wants to prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect, and He wants to do it through you. That's what that verse says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that God can prove through you. Not through the pastor, not through some evangelist or somebody you think is spiritual, but through you. Spirituality should never be a goal for Christians. Fellowship with Jesus should be a goal for Christians. Being close to Him, letting Him be Lord, Daddy, your best friend. The Lord's got plenty of spirituality. It's called the Holy Spirit. You fellowship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will move in your life. You don't need to go around and be a mystic. You don't need to be weird. You don't need to be bizarre. You don't need to seek to be spiritual, fast to be spiritual. Just fellowship with Jesus. Hallelujah. He said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to go around acting like you're spiritual. Fake it till you make it, as they say. God wants to send proofs. He wants to do what He did 2,000 years ago through Jesus. He's just looking for people who will allow what's good, acceptable, and perfect to be manifest in their life. And He prefers to do it through people other than the pastor. I think. He prefers to do it with everyday folk. Can you say amen? amen. And the only qualification is they have to be transformed. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God proves His will through transformed people. Now the word transformed, I think many of you have probably heard this, is the Greek word metamorpho. Guess what we get from that? We get butterflies from caterpillars, metamorphous. And metamorphous literally means a complete change, not rearranging things, but a total change. And if, if, if you go by the technical definition, it says, a, um, a complete change of appearance, character, and function. Think of that butterfly coming out of the cocoon where a caterpillar had crawled in just days before. And out comes something that doesn't even resemble what walked in. In fact, not only does it look different, it's not just got different clothing on, it acts and behaves differently. And not only does it act and behave differently and characteristic, it functions differently. It flies. Caterpillars didn't fly. It doesn't crawl around. It just soars. You are to be transformed. 
God wants to take the old elements of your life as a sinner and transform you into sons and daughters of the living God. And it's, it ought to be as dramatic as the caterpillar transforming into the butterfly. Can you say amen? That's metamorphosis. So he says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. And we'll talk for a few moments in a minute about how do you get transformed? Well, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, you, first thing you should know is you can't do it to yourself. Change your clothes, but you can't change your function. Uh, every husband knows that. Um, so, and some wives know that too. And let me just tell you this, in a Christian context and, and the context this morning, a transformed person is a person who's like Jesus. That's what a transformed, a transformed Christian is not somebody who owns a Bible, goes on to talk about it, goes to the right church, believes the right things, or says, you know, I am, I, I'm a, or any of the cultural things that identify you as a Christian. That is not what a transformed person is. A transformed person is someone who is like Jesus. Now, before you think you know what being like Jesus is, let me tell you what being like Jesus is. Being like Jesus is having an active, favorable relationship with the Father. That is the singular proof of what being like Jesus is. Because what made Jesus unique was that he was one with the Father. And he said in John 14 and 9 to Philip, when Philip said, well, just show us the Father. We can't take all this talk about heaven and you going and coming. and we, It's confusing. And he just stops him and he says, Philip, he said, have I been with you so long and you don't recognize me? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what being like Jesus is. It is when people see you, do they see a relationship with the Father? How did people know Jesus had a relationship with the Father? <laughs> he cast out devils. He raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. Anyone could run around and talk about the law of Moses. Anybody could jump up on, a, on an orange crate and talk about the kingdom of heaven. But he demonstrated that he was with the Father because he did the things that only the Father can do. And, Jesus, and Paul said, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that God can prove through you that you're like Jesus and you're with the Father. And people, we need Christians who are with the Father. Not because they're mystical, but because they're powerful. Are you listening to me? Because in their simple lives, the power of God keeps occurring through answered prayer. When Jesus stood at the, the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. And you say, yeah, well, that was Jesus. But that's what Jesus expects of you and I, is that we live a life that is transformed. God wants to transform you so that you are like Christ. Can you say Amen. All right, so the question is, how do I get transformed? If I could, just tell me, how do I get, well, we got together all of our money, and we've bought a transformation machine. It's right in that room. <laughs> For what I think is a fair price, $98.95 per seating. You can go and sit in the machine, we'll transform you. It takes about 30 minutes per, I think, you know, 
couple of sessions a week and go on like that. We'll just put you in the transformation machine. Hallelujah. You'll be like Jesus after about a month. It depends on the person. depends on your weight, size. How many of you know that's not true? How then does a person become transformed? How do we become like Jesus? Well, he says right there, thank you, the renew. I was hoping somebody would say it. I, was, I wanted to move on. I so wanted to move on. And I needed somebody to present that gateway in the message. Renewal of the mind. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, the word renewal, Pastor Terry, means renovate. Terry's done plenty of renovation in his life. Go into a house. Family says, we just bought this house, but it doesn't suit us. We've got three more kids than the previous owner had. We've got all these needs. This is what it is. Can you make it into a house that we can live in? Well, it's quite a job. We've got to take some walls out. We have to change some things. We're going to have to tear out the kitchen. We have to retrench the floor. We have to move the plumbing. It's going to take some money. It's going to take some work. But yes, I think we can get it done. We can transform the house. And when it's finished, the owners walk in and say, this doesn't even resemble the house. Love watching those shows on HGTV, right? What is it, uh, buy it or kick it to the curb or something like that? I don't know, whatever it is. But um, they come in and they, they transform the house. And, and it doesn't even resemble what it looked like before. And we're not talking about changing some paint and rearranging some furniture. That's not going to get it. We're talking about, we are talking about reshaping and renovating that house so that a new and different life can be lived in it to accommodate a different life. So when he says be renewed by the, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's talking about remodeling your mind to accommodate a new life, a different life. You can't get saved, receive Jesus, and then keep going to Google to find out what the world feels and thinks and what the opinions of society and what this church says and what all the other Christians are saying and run your life by Google. You need to go to the Word of God. Who cares what Google says? Who cares what the news says? Who cares what this church leader or the latest thing is? Who cares? We need to go and get our minds renovated to accommodate a new life. And the only place I know that that true transformation can take place is through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And he contrasts it, the way we can tell how dramatic transformation really is and the renovating of the mind, is he contrasts it with being conformed to the world. When he says, be not conformed to the world, the word conformed in the original Greek text also has a pretty robust meaning. It means agreement, fashion, consent, accommodate. In other words, he's saying, do not be in agreement. Do not fashion yourself after. Do not consent. Do not accommodate the opinions of society. In other words, if you sum all of those words that describe conform up, you know what you get? Instead of transformation, you get imitation. And that's what many Christians do. 
rather than rolling up their sleeves and get busy doing the hard work of renovating their thinking, they simply imitate what everyone else thinks. They simply go to Google or Facebook and find out what the, what the leading trends are among Christians. What are Christians saying? What are they believing in? They jump on those things because it's easy. You can be lazy. You don't have to get into the Bible. You don't have to know the Word of God. You don't have to know the truth. And this is why we have Christians today that have no idea what Christianity meant 50 years ago. They have no idea what Christianity meant 2,000 years ago. They have no idea. They believe that we invented it 10 years ago. And that, and that the people that are, that are defining Christianity in terms of all of these cultural ideologies are absolutes, that these are absolutes. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, even the religious world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you say amen? amen. So the conformist simply runs to Google to imitate everybody else's opinions rather than doing the hard work of reshaping his or her own thinking with God's Word. What does God have to say about things? And you know, we don't do that because, well, frankly, more and more as time goes by, the opinions of the world, including the worldly church that is getting bigger by the day, is out of step with what the Word of God says. The opinions of the world, including the worldly church and worldly Christians, are increasingly diametrically opposed to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, who said, take up your cross and follow me. And by the way, who also said that I have decided to forgive your sins and to give you righteousness as a gift. Stop trying to work for it. Take the grace and the gift of my love and stand upon it. And let me just tell you this, the Google-minded Christian, if I could use that term, inevitably takes his or her ideas of right and wrong from the opinions of men. And then they want, we wonder why they become man-pleasers. When you look to the opinions of people, for your position, how you're going to behave and how you're going to think about things. Well, what does so-and-so think? What does this one think? What are they saying? When you draw from the opinions of men, your own opinions, you know what you ultimately become is a man-pleaser because that's the source that you go to to find what you are going to believe. You look to men. You look to people. You become a people-pleaser. The people-pleasers, or the Google-minded Christians, if you will, are always thinking, as they formulate their thoughts and opinions about something, are people going to like this? If I say this, or if I take this position, if I make this stand, or if I make this declaration, who's going to like me? Too many Christians today are deciding what they believe, depend, depending on what, in their mind, who in their mind is going to like it. Who in their mind is going to accept it? Does, I can see by the nodding of the heads you understand what I'm talking about. Can you say amen? amen. The modern Google-minded Christian 
is the most connected, yet the most easily offended and insecure generation that's ever lived in history. There's never been a more connected generation, not just in the world, but in the church. Christians today are more connected with other Christians all around the world, not just in their neighborhood or in their town or in their city, but all over the world through their phone and through their, through their computer and through their ring and their watch and your earrings eventually are going to start talking to you and you're going to be able to talk to your friends in Thailand and what's your opinion? What's happening there? Oh, did you hear? You know what's happening? This is what believers are saying over there and saying over here. And the thing is that for all of the connection, I have never seen, and when I read history, I can't see in history a day when Christians have been more weak, easily offended, insecure, worried about the opinions of the world and what are people going to think if I show up dressed like this or out of fashion or I don't look like I'm with everybody else. And the reason is, is because they are connected. They're connected to the world rather than the Word. Are you listening to me? You know, G James said in James 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I don't know when the last time you've heard that verse brought up from the pulpit anywhere. I say again, James went on to say, if you want to be a friend of the world, think about that, friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I wonder how many Christians really do believe in and worship the God that they claim to worship because he said the world is here and I'm here and we don't have anything to do with one another. I love the world, but I don't love it because I like it or that I like the way it is or I like the fallen nature of man or man's style or his fashion or the way he thinks. I came and died because they needed death to separate them from their foolishness. And yet Christians today celebrate the foolishness of the world. They want to be like the foolishness of the world. You know, churches, whole churches today, and Christians run all over the place, running tests and doing analysis, trying to figure out what's at the leading edge of culture today. What do people believe? What do they think? We need to work that into our sermons. We need to adopt. We need to adapt to the way people think and the issues of the day and we need to tailor our presentation of the gospel so it's relevant to the world. And that's why we're irrelevant with God. Amen. The world is smart regarding its own stuff. You're never going to compete with the world at being worldly or being relevant. Amen. We're too connected to the world. Be not conformed to the world. Be not conformed to the opinions of the world. Who cares what culture has decided in its infinite wisdom is now acceptable with God, although 6,000 years of human history, it had never been considered acceptable, but now it is because people have decided it's acceptable. And you can think about all kinds of things that the church is finding itself foolishly wrapped up in trying to be liked. Let's put it in the simple, unvarnished terms that it deserves to be in. They're worried about being liked by the world. Not right with God, just liked by the world. Because if the world doesn't like me, then I can't, I can't win them to Jesus. 
Let me tell you that for thousands of years, great and simple men and women of God have led their generations to Jesus without ever bothering to be liked by them, without ever bothering to be relevant to them or relevant to their sin or their foolishness. If Jesus thought that being relevant to the world was how to save the world, he would have never died. Did you know that when Jesus gave his life and died on Calvary's cross for sin, for sin, that he forever sealed the issue that sin is sinful. If he could have simply come and said, I've decided to change sin's classification, God has changed his mind, and the way I'm going to save everyone is to just tell you God's changed his mind about the about your sins and he now he loves you and because he loves you he's just not going to hold those things against you anymore and so Jesus never did that he went to the cross to die for our sins because sin makes you dead to God it did it does and it always will the soul that sinneth it shall die and that's why Jesus died for us so what's all this about this, this need to be relevant and cultural with the world today. The world needs proofs of what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world doesn't need you to be their friend, their buddy, or to say, those Christians are cool. Those, those Christians, they're all right, man. They're like us. Oh, those Christians, they are really have love. You know why the world says you have love? Because you love the things they love. Come on, hello. They love sin. Are you listening to me? What is wrong with you? God so loved the world that he went up on the cross, died for their sins. They didn't kill him because he was their buddy. They killed him because they hated him. Yeah, but he ate with sinners. He, he hung out with sinners. Yeah, but he never once said to them, you know, I know that what this adultery you've been living in, but God, God loves you anyway. Feel free to just, he understands you can't help yourself. And, you know, in fact, if you look here at these verses, it really doesn't mean this and that. And Jesus never got into that foolishness. He said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. And in fact, the reality is, is he knows that none of us could get to heaven by sinning no more. Christian sin. How do we become transformed? We become transformed by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you know what? That's the only message you're entitled to bring to the world. If you're bringing something else to the world, then you're of the world. You're just, you're just being a worldly Christian. That's all that there, there is to it. Friendship with the world is being an enemy to God. There is no other way to put it. But transform Christian thinkers as opposed to Google thinkers. Display the proofs. They don't display, look how cool we are. Look how loving we are. Look how, look how we are, we're contemporary. We're inclusive. We are with you guys. We care. If you really have the love of God, you don't have to prove to sinners that you have the love of God by taking the same opinion about their sins that they have. That doesn't prove anything other than you're just a big hypocrite because you're no different than they are. You've heard the old story, if you're going to pull me out of the pit, I need you to be out of the pit. I mean, it just really, it just, it, it just, 
you know, there's just some common sense here. Hallelujah. So real transformed Christian thinkers, they display the proofs of God towards men. They don't waste their time being offended by the shame of the cross. But you know why Google Christians are so quick to run and find out what the world thinks? It's because they are ashamed of the cross. They want to change that shame. They want to make the cross look good. They want, to, they want to transform its symbolism into something that means something acceptable to the world. And Paul said they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is, is an ugly thing. It is a shame. It is what separates sinners, though, from their sin. It was a nasty, ugly, harsh business because it dealt with reality. The reality that without God separating you from your sin, you will not see the kingdom of God and you're going to hell. And God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be with Him. You can't even talk about these things to many Christians today because they can't take them. They can't stomach them. They just, they alarms start flying off in their head, you know, and they think, well, well hold on a minute here. I'm feeling some hate. I'm, I'm not, where's the love? I'm not feeling the love. They're so confused about what love is. They think love is a sentiment that is void of hate, that there's no hate in it. If you can't hate, you can't love. If you've got no hate in you, you've got no love in you. Hebrews, speaking of Jesus Christ, says, God has chosen you and exalted you above all of your fellows, because you love righteousness and hate evil. Jesus was the unique Son of God, not because he went around and loved everything, it's because he loved righteousness and he hated evil. People that are incapable of hating what is evil are incapable of loving what is righteous. And it's just absolutely a fact in the kingdom of God although it's, it's not a fact, obviously, on Google. So you, can, you need to decide to not be offended at the cross of Christ. Don't worry about people's reactions to the cross of Christ. Why would I say that? Because the, the Bible says, I rejoice in glory in the cross of Christ because it, it is the power of God unto salvation. The cross is what saves people. You can't bring people into the kingdom of God because you've got them to agree with you and go to your church. If people come and, quote, get saved because they think, well, you're different than those other Christians, you know. You're, you, you're really cool, and, and, and I never feel uncomfortable around you. Being uncomfortable has become the proof of the gospel. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Being uncomfortable is the proof of the gospel. There was a day when you couldn't get people saved without making them uncomfortable. And if people are, are comfortably nestled on a bus called sin and it's heading right over the cliff, you've got to shake and rattle them and do whatever you can to stop them, run them off the road, flip them over, whatever it takes. But if you let their cries of, well, I don't feel comfortable with this. I feel uncomfortable about this. 
They're never going to come to Jesus. Because the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity against God. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we should go out of our way to be obnoxious. There's not a, there's not a ninth fruit of the Spirit, or not a tenth fruit of the Spirit called being obnoxious. That's why I said, by the way, earlier, trying to be spiritual is never a good goal for Christians. Be, lo be loving by loving Jesus and let Him bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in you. Being obnoxious is not one of them. Amen. So transform Christian thinkers, as un unlike the Google thinkers, the, the transformed thinker, his first thought is not what will people think about this position. His first thought is, what miraculous answer does the Holy Spirit want to bring into this situation? The transformed thinker, whether it's a bill that has come in the mail or a phone call from a friend or a situation that has arisen and you've got to respond to it. What is your first thought? What is your first response? What's the first thing that comes in your mind? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes what comes into my mind is, are you kidding? Again? What is wrong with those people? Or, I'm telling you, if, if, if this doesn't let up, I don't know. One, this could be the last straw. Like I'm telegraphing to the devil. Just pile one more on. He's ready to blow. Just give him one more. He's already let you know. Just one more trial. He's, he's had it. So I go through that. We all do. But what do you do when you're confronted with a situation that needs to have some sort of mental, emotional, and behavioral response from you? Well, the transformed Christian thinker, the first place his mind or her mind goes to is what miraculous answer, what good and perfect and acceptable supernatural thing does God want to do to respond to this situation? Have you ever been around Christians who they're always saying, let's pray? And you're like, they're just a little creepy about it. There's, every time... You know, I'm thinking that we should all get together and let's go fishing. So you get there, you get the boat out, you're ready to go, and they, they say, hold on a minute, let's take hands, let's pray. You know, I'm not bringing them fishing with me anymore. They're just, they're weird. Everyone else is looking at us, and, but then again, you're coming back with no fish. So, you know, I don't know. You get Jesus in the boat, the fish come. So you do, you knock yourself out. But look, yeah, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, they're always thinking, let's pray, let's... Because in their mind is, we need God in this situation. I've got insurance, I don't need God in this situation. I'm covered, and I've got this. See, the problem is, we've got everything. We've got coverage for everything. But we're not proving what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God because you're not a Christian so that you can get people to like Jesus because you're so likable. That's not the goal of being a Christian. You are a Christian so that they can see through you a portal into eternity. They can see through you demonstration of the Holy Ghost, answer, supernatural demonstration and power. Through your weakness and idiocy and lunacy and silliness, they can see God moving, transforming and answering prayer and things in your life. Glory to God. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. You know, the Bible, the Bible talks about, in Galatians, it says, Paul, Paul questions the Galatians. He says, 
This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. The Galatian church had gone back to law-keeping. They had forsaken and abandoned the gospel of grace. And so Paul's just, just challenging them. And he says, them, look, there's only one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What did Jesus say? When I come back, will I find faith on earth? Will I find people who are living by faith or just people who are cultural Christians trying to make the world like them? He goes on to say, couple of verses down from there, he repeats the phrase, hearing of faith. He repeats it again. He says, does he, speaking of Jesus, then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? What's wrong with the church today? We're operating by the works of the law, not by the hearing of faith. You say, well, I don't know. There's not too many churches that keep the law. That's not what the law is today. The modern version of the, of the works of the law is Google thinking. The 21st century version of the, of the works of the law is what is the opinion, the general consensus of society. It's being conformed. The law is about conformity. It's being about imitating what, what people demand Christians ought to look like it. If you're really a Christian, if you really have love, then you will take up this cause and you'll stand in this position. And, and uh, society is dictating to the church what a, quote, loving, honest, compassionate Christian should look like, sound like, act like, and the positions that you should take. And we are not, and, and we are not only allowing our people to be influenced by the pressure of Google. And by the way, I love Google. I, I, I hope you know I'm just sort of using them as a metaphor because they're kind of the go-to portal for worldwide information, and you can kind of get a snapshot of what's what by going. To, I use Google all the time, so you know, lest you should think. But you understand what I mean by that. It's the portal to the world. And so the modern version of law-keeping is not that churches are out trying to keep the law of Moses. It's that they're trying to be in conformity to men, to the opinions of men. Men who do not have a handle on God. Men through whom God is not moving. And just because you can stand up and say things that sound intelligent does not mean God is moving in your life. Who is it that has the authority to speak for God? Transformed lives prove the will of God. Let me say it again. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renovation of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good, perfect, and acceptable. Show me that sister, that woman, that senior citizen, that kid in the church, whoever it may be, the child, that is truly in love with Jesus, walking with Jesus, walking in the Word of God, actively resisting conformity to the world, weeding out their responses to things, not falling in with what everybody else thinks, making an actual effort to find out what does God say about this rather than what people think. Instead of running to Google, run to the Bible, get on your face, pray, develop a relationship with the Lord, work at your relationship with Jesus Christ, Become a disciple, which stems from the word discipline. Put the discipline in to know God and to walk with Him. That is the person who is renovating their mind, the Bible says, 
God will prove what is good, perfect, and acceptable through that person. That's the one that has a say-so. That's the person that you want to listen, and you're probably not going to like what they say. Because it is going to confront and conflict with what is popular. I think one of the greatest dangers of the church today is to make the horrible mistake of believing that popularity and numbers and followership is some sort of fruit or indication or status symbol of rightness. It's a, it's a symbol of correctness, but correctness according to the world, not correctness according to God. Jesus said, narrow is the way. And he didn't mean that until the 21st century hits and then the, the narrow way is going to blow wide open and everybody's going to come flying through. No, he meant narrow is the way. Let me just wrap this up and say to you that there is no force of resistance out there in the world that can prevent God's miraculous manifestation of power from breaking out into the streets. There is absolutely no barrier. There is nothing out there that makes it hard for God to save people, to deliver them, to open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead just like he was doing 2,000 years ago. Right out on the sidewalk, right out in the street, or in the church building or whatever. There is no problem. He still loves the world. His methods have not changed. His purpose has not changed. I am the Lord, I change not. The covenant hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. There's no resistance to God doing those things. So where does the resistance come from? Why do we not see the manifest presence of God, the proofs, if you will, of transformed lives? Because the resistance takes place in you and I. The, the strongest force on the face of the earth is the force of the human will, that can find something else to do rather than submit to Jesus Christ. That can believe something else rather than believe the truth. That can allow the reasoning of men to turn your opinions rather than to take God's opinion, which might make you unpopular even in your own house, much less with everybody else. Can you say amen? amen. So be careful. Be careful while you're out there. Be careful while you're watching TV. Be careful when you're at the movies. Be careful when you're you're uh, on uh, the, the internet and you're Googling or you're on Facebook and you're finding out what every other Christian thinks and the, watching the news and, and taking it all in. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful when you open your mind to the opinions and listen to the opinions of men because like the Trojan horse, if you let them into the gate of your soul, they don't come empty. Let me say it again. The opinions of men do not enter your mind empty. They bring a force with them. They bring a spirit with them. There are more Christians today that have their back bowed with a spirit of rebellion against the Holy Spirit. And they have no idea that it's there. But they walk around with a certain level of rebellion against God because they listen to the opinions of men. They have formed their morals and their positions by what people they think are cool 
They like that particular Christian. They like that group. They like that music. They like that church. And so because they like it, they want the theology that goes with it. They want the opinions that go with it. You listen to the world for whatever reason, and like the Trojan horse, it brings a spirit into your life. And then you wonder why there are no proofs of God moving in your life because you're not transformed. You're imitating. You're conformed. Hallelujah. So let me say to you, bring this up on a positive note. I think I've been more negative in this message than I have probably in about 12 months. But that's all right. Sometimes we need a little bit of that, you know what I'm saying, shaping and, and molding and everything to bring forth what's good. So let me just kind of bring forth what's good and say that God's grace has no problem working out there in the world, no matter how sinful the world is. Sin is not a barrier to the power of Jesus Christ manifesting healing and love and deliverance. Hallelujah. His challenge is finding a point of entry into the world through you and I. Remember that Jesus said, all things are possible to he who believes or she who believes. Or let's say it like this, all things are possible to he or she with a transformed mind. In fact, in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, what things soever you, or, or uh, uh, who, I'm sorry, whosoever shall say to the mountain, whoever, doesn't matter, whoever, anyone, and believe in his heart, not doubt, but believe that those things which he says, who can do that? Anyone who just runs around and says it? No, but the person with the transformed mind. So close your Bible and stand with me this morning. The first point that I want to lay down in this message, when Jesus comes, will he find faith on earth? Is that he is not coming to find belief. He's not coming to find a great society. Or Christians who have the have been approved of by the world. Let me tell you that when Jesus comes, if the world says, oh, that church is great. I love those people. They're just, they are so hip. They're so together. Like they are, he is not going to take the endorsement of society as any indication of where you stand with him. He knows where you stand with him. And where you stand with him is where you stand with him, period. It's between he and us. And so let me say to you today, that when he comes, he's looking for faith in you. That's what it all comes down to. That's what he's looking for. And I think it's, to me, it's just interesting that Jesus would say, I'm coming back and I'm a little curious, I'm a little concerned. Will I find faith on earth? He knows he's going to find millions and millions of Christians, hundreds of thousands of churches. But he asks the question, the one that really matters, Will I find faith? Will I find imitators who conform or will I find transformed thinkers? And I'll tell you, for our church, my prayer is that we will live the life and pursue Jesus and pay the price, do whatever it takes to be a transformed thinker. To be somebody who is walking in the truth 
and it's manifest through proofs. Good, perfect, acceptable. There's testimonies happening in your life. If that's you this morning and, um, and you're saying to the Lord, you've heard something in this message that stirred your heart and you said, I want to be that person. I want to be that person. And, and maybe you've listened to this message and you've said, there's been a little shabbiness in my life. There's been a little compromise. And, uh, and I've, been, I've been riding the fence when it comes to some things. I'm not sure exactly what God wants me to do, but I'm certain that where I am is not entirely where God wants me to be. If that's you, that's great. That's being honest. That's really, that's your, that's your, that's your place of meeting with the Lord right now this morning. So if that's you, if you would, let's just pray together. And uh, I'd like to pray for you. If in your heart, you're there, you've heard this message and you're thinking, well, I think there is some clutter in my thinking. I think it matters to me a little too much what the world thinks. And I'm not sure I really have God's answer on this thing. I pray for you right now. And I, I just pray, Father, that you would touch hearts that only the power of the Holy Spirit can drill down into the conscience. Open the door. Speak, Father, to the people today. Speak it to our hearts. I pray, Father God, that a call that will transcend, that will break through and transcend the need to be relevant in the eyes of men. Let the call to be right with God take center stage in their hearts. Lift that need up in the heart today of your people, Father. Speak to them, help them, encourage them, Father. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, hallelujah. If that could be done today, I'm telling you, that would be worth all the time we have spent this morning together. If the Lord could get truly the seat on the throne of your heart, and if less of the world can control the way you think, your need to follow the opinions of men. Would you pray with me right now? And let me offer some simple words and let you and I pray together. Father, my mind and my heart, I surrender to you. Now before I go on with this, let me say, of course I don't know everybody here today. And so I don't know if everybody is saved. I don't know if, if Jesus is Lord of your life. And so because of that, we want to offer these words in this prayer. Heavenly Father, as I open my heart and my mind, I realize that as a sinner, I cannot possibly make myself right with you. And certainly not by conforming to what others want from me or the standards of men. You are holy and you don't take your counsel from men. So Lord, I come to you and I receive Jesus as my Savior. He is you come into this world to save me from my sins. And so Lord, in the blood that you shed, I find my life 
I receive salvation. And I seek you. Help me to open my mind, open my heart, and seek truth at your word. Holy Spirit, be my teacher. I want to be that person through whom you prove what is good, perfect, and acceptable. Use me, Lord. I'm not looking for any glory except to give glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Now, before I dismiss you, let me just say, if you weren't a Christian, if you weren't saved, or you weren't, you just felt in your heart, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure I was really saved, and you believe right then, when you prayed, you were sincere. You've given your heart to the Lord. Tell somebody before you leave today, maybe somebody you came to church with, just tell them, you know what? Whatever position I had before, I'm right with God. I, I've taken that step, and Jesus is Lord of my life. That's all you can tell them. Jesus is Lord of my life. Let them know that. Praise the Lord. Um, 